Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George. Welcome to today's Beeson Podcast. You know, if you've ever been to Beeson Divinity School, you have seen what we call the great cloud of witnesses, the mural in the dome of Hodges Chapel. It contains 16 figures from the history of the Christian church, beginning with, in the second century, Perpetua and her servant girl Felicitas, and going right through the 20th century. One of those figures is John Wesley. And we're going to talk today on this podcast about John Wesley and his brother, Charles Wesley. And my guests today have two of them. One of them here in the studio is our friend and dear colleague, Dr. Lyle Dorset, And the other is a recent, fairly recent alum of Beeson Divinity School, Jake Hansen. Dr. Dorset, Jake, welcome back to Beeson and to the podcast. Thank you much. Thank you for having me. Now, um, let me begin by asking you all to talk about these two men, John and Charles Wesley. We all know their names, but tell us a little bit about their lives and why they are significant for Christians today to know about. Dr. Dorset, we'll let you start with a lesser known, a little bit lesser known, Charles, and then Jake, you chime in with John. Well, Charles Wesley um, is probably... His contribution to Christendom may be even stronger than John's. John was one of the main leaders of of a revival across England and spread through other all over the world eventually. But Charles was a key player in this, a uh, a man who was who wrote hymns. He, he wrote hymns that we still sing today. In fact, this very day in one of my classes, we began class singing, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, my great Redeemer's play, praise. And so um, Charles has contributed. He certainly wasn't alone in writing hymns in that period, and there are many great hymn writers, but his hymns are greatly celebrated to this very day. He wrote how many? Over um, 4,000? Well, he wrote... He wrote somewhere between four and six thousand. Nobody's really certain, but uh, his brother John edited a volume of his sermons, of his hymns that included five hundred and twenty-five yeah. hymns, and those are some of his better-known ones. But no, he wrote thousands of hymns, really? and they're bibline. You can go down. In fact, uh, people who have edited these, you can go down the line and see almost every verse. You can find scripture. These you touch these hymns and they're bibline. They're, it's just phenomenal. This man was steeped in scripture. I want to talk a little bit more in a minute about their times in which they lived. This this great 18th century revival, at which they were the heart of that. Uh, not only in England, it spread uh, to North America as well. Um, but uh, Jake, tell us a little bit about John. Well, John, you know, both the Wesley brothers throughout their lives are trying to answer this question: What does it mean to be a Christian? And throughout their lives, they were, you know, raised in a religious home, a Christian home. Their dad was a pastor. Their mom, Susanna, was a very religious and spiritual woman who raised the children to know to know the Lord. But as John and Charles looked back on their lives, they, they felt like they weren't real and true Christians as they became, you know, an adult. So they were asking themselves, how 
were they to be Christians, and they came with the salvation by faith doctrine that we needed to receive the gospel, not by our works, not by what we've done, not by our baptism, not by uh, our ordinations as pastors. They were pastors and missionaries, but we need to receive this by faith. And they began to take this doctrine that they had received themselves to England throughout the land, and this revival really began to spread, and, and John in particular, began to organize the people into to societies, into groups, and really spread the revival, like you said, beyond England, into America, and, and throughout the whole world. Now, Jake, you've written a brand new book about John Wesley, called John Wesley, The Fearless Evangelist, Crossing the Divide. That's the title of the book, Crossing the Divide, and it's published by Shiloh Run Press, which is an imprint of Barber Publishing. Uh, it's a wonderful book. I just read it uh, last night myself. I was riveted by the wonderful stories that many of them I knew, but some were new to me as well. So uh, tell us uh, what prompted you to write this book, and how can a person get a copy of it if they'd like to purchase it? Well, I've always been interested in John Wesley. About 15 years ago, I began to read his journals and was really riveted by his style, his wit, his uh, theology that he makes with it, but really his passion to spread the gospel throughout England and throughout the British Isles. So I was really intrigued by that. And as I began to look at his life, and you know, it's called Crossing the Divide, in part because he was a man who looked at the issues in his world and the controversies that he faced, and he didn't look at them in fear and, and try to draw away from the problems of the world, but he began to engage in the, the issues of the world. So I found that very intriguing, that instead of hiding from mobs and and people who were trying to hurt him and kill him, he would turn to these mobs, and he'd look them in the eye, and he'd almost cry for them and feel mm-hmm. in his heart of love for these people, that these people weren't people who were his enemies as much as they were enemies of God who needed uh, transformation and conversion themselves. And you know, as I looked at his life, he's, he's crossing the divide, these people who are on the other side of the divide from their holy God, and he's trying to bring them across to be with him and to be co-laborers with him in the the ministry of the gospel. So that's the meaning of this subtitle of he wrote, The Fearless Evangelist, that he had tremendous courage. He had what the New Testament calls uh, that Greek word parousia, boldness, courage, no fear. At the same time, as you were saying, he's motivated by great compassion also for people. He cares about individuals, about especially those that are destitute and suffering and in pain. He has great compassion in his heart. This this combination of courage and compassion, it seems to me, are two great themes that run through the life of John Wesley. Yeah, and he spent a good portion of his life just ministering to the sick in particular. He even wrote a, a book about medicine and how to reach the, the medical needs of people with various sicknesses and if we look at the book today, of course, you know, with our medical technology, we, we laugh at some of the remedies, but he really had a heart to, to alleviate the suffering and the pain of, of people, and he saw it as a work of God because sin and Satan had brought this sickness and disease and suffering on people, and he felt like it was his call as a minister of the gospel, not just to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to the salvation of their souls, but to bring these people out of their, their suffering, their physical suffering, their poverty to help them through these different trials that were brought about by Satan and sin. So he's very leading in that way. In in the the introduction to your book, Crossing the Divide, you you make this statement. I want to ask you to comment on it. John Wesley lived in an age of division, partisanship, and violence of a degree as yet unknown in the West today. 
uh, elaborate on that statement and say something about how the age in which both of the Wesleys lived mirrors our own in some respects. England at that time was going through some tremendous political turmoil with the English Reformation had come over 100 years before, but there was some teetering back and forth between who was the king and there were revolutions. The American Revolution would come later in John Wesley's life. But there's not only the political, the wars, the fears of war that are going on, but there's also a rejection really of and George Whitfield, his partner, had come to this conclusion that the people needed this salvation by faith alone. There was a rejection of this truth of the gospel within even the churches in England at the time. And of course, there were some Christians at the time who were receiving it in the church. But by and large, there was also a rejection of morality, Christian morality. And so John is facing these different political realities. Um, he's engaging with with these people who are, you know, throwing rocks at him, you know, trying to hit him with gloves and trying to beat his brains out, he, he would say. So there was this, this violence that was going on, and basically we don't have uh, today, but we do have some political crises going on in our world and in our country, and the uh, vitriol and hatred that goes on in public debates and, and things are are still alive. And obviously we have morality, which, you know, I, I think we can see in John Wesley a way forward and how to engage some of these things forcefully, uh, but lovingly, not you know, nastily and uh, looking down on people. Uh, Dr. Dorsey, uh, Wesley was was a controversial figure. Uh, he was involved in a lot of debates, a lot of controversies in his day, and yet, I think as Jake was saying there at the end, he also was an ironic figure. He was a peacemaker. He wanted to reach out to people in love and charity, even Roman Catholics. In his day, that was unheard of for an evangelical Protestant to do. He has a letter to a Roman Catholic. It's still a model today for how we ought to relate within the body of Christ. Say a little bit about these two aspects, the controversy and also the ironicism. Well, I think John Wesley and Charles as well, these, these were men who fell in love with the Lord. Early in their lives, they were committed to Christ mentally, but they both had born-again experiences, and Christ was birthed into their hearts. And when they were filled with the love of Christ, and Christ began to grow in them, they naturally did. They just did what Jesus, you know, you fed the poor, you're feeding me. You're in love with me, so you're going to clothe the poor. You're in love with me, you're going to visit me in prison. You're in love with me. You're going to care for widows and the fatherless. And they did indeed do that. That This was, I think, just agape love flowing out of them. It had flown in. It had flown into them, flowed into them through Jesus and goes right back out to others. But at the same time, like Jesus, there's controversy when you speak truth to people. Uh, telling people that there was a hell and telling people who, I mean, John was very keen on pointing out that most of the pastors of the churches in the Church of England were not even believers and that the people were going to church and thinking that because they'd been baptized as infants and confirmed at, in their early teens that they're all going to heaven. John said, you don't know Christ. Eternal life is to know the Father and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. Uh, that, that brought the sword into things and caused great turmoil. 
And part of this controversy that they were involved in had to do with the way they carried out their ministry. They were both ministers of the Church of England, ordained in the Church of England. They wanted to stay within the structures of the Church of England, and yet it became increasingly difficult. Uh, And John uh, actually was expelled from some of the parishes. They wouldn't allow him to preach or have services. So he went outside, outdoors. It was a new strategy. And, Jake, in your book, you have two chapters. They're back-to-back called Closed Doors, Open Fields. Say a little bit about that strategic change. Yeah, well, when John Wesley came back from a mission to Georgia and America, it was a failed mission, and he came back, and uh, George Whitfield was having this marvelous revival uh, in London, and uh, John Wesley began to, to preach, and, and he had big crowds, and the churches were uh, casting him out of these churches, and he had nowhere to preach. And finally, he, he followed after George Whitfield, who uh, was being barred from churches and um, decided that if they're not going to let me preach in the church, I'm, I'm just going to go out into the collier's fields and, and begin to preach to the workers, the laborers out, outside, and I'm going to go to the markets, and I'm going to preach uh, where the churches really aren't reaching out to the people uh, because those people aren't going into the church. They're not going to enter into the doors of the church. And it was really an open opportunity that came as a result of the closed doors that the churches had uh, to reach a people that we're never going to encounter the gospel apart from uh, the people of the church going out to reach uh, the people there. And, and so John Wesley, for his entire life, really, he, he used this as a model to begin to preach, not just in, in buildings that they would begin to build, build the Methodist uh, chapels that they would build around England, uh, but he would also go outdoors into the markets and, and to find people who weren't, weren't going to come to the chapels and the churches. And he began to have a philosophy of ministry, and it's one of his most famous remarks is that, uh, you know, I see the whole world as my parish. It's not just one location where my parish is. I see everybody everywhere is an opportunity to, to preach the gospel to you, and everybody everywhere is in need of the gospel. And that's what he began to do, is to go all over, wherever he could, on horseback, and he traveled thousands and thousands of miles uh, yeah. just to reach one last soul. Yeah, he had a great heart for reaching people with the gospel, didn't he? Nothing would stand in his way. Now, um, I want to ask both of you to comment on this next question because this is a theme in your book, Jake, and I think it's an important issue when we talk about John and Charles Wesley, these two brothers. They were partners in ministry. They supported one another in terrific ways. John, in some ways, maybe was the strategist, uh, the preacher, the evangelist, uh, Charles was certainly the great hymn writer, in some ways uh, the supporter behind the scenes, maybe a little bit. And yet there was also conflict between these two brothers, and it became very disruptive and uh, difficult in their relationship. Uh, could both of you comment on these two brothers and how they related to one another and what the upshot of that tension was for their ministry? Dr. Dorsett, we'll start with you. Well, I think that there was uh, tension between these uh, two men, these brothers, for years, even from childhood. They were both competitive. They were both evangelistic. Uh, they had a lot of energy. And Charles, uh, John was not a man who lacked opinions on things, and, and Charles certainly uh, rivaled him in that. And Charles even decided that he should tell John whom he should marry. Mm-hmm. And he, John was, uh, John had a very difficult marriage, to say the least. He and his wife never divorced. 
but their their marriage was terrible. They didn't live together for years. And the woman that probably John should have married, Charles, had managed to break that relationship up. And I think, uh, to to put it mildly, that uh, that distressed John to no end. Mm-hmm. And this happened when they were in America, right? And well, no, this happened after John came back from America and mm-hmm. was looking. He had a woman he was in love with in America, but he couldn't get around to uh, asking her to marry him. So she married someone else. Yeah. And then he refused to give communion to both the the other man and her, and that, to say the least, caused him a problem. That was Sophie Hopke. Yes, and about. they. they uh, so John went back, kind of defeated at at love and defeated at ministry in America. Why did Charles do this underhanded thing like that? I think it's a matter of just this hubris in him. He thought he should tell his brother how to live hmm. and would know what to do. Um, I want to confess my sins on this podcast. I actually have told some of my students who they should marry and who they should not marry, and none of them have obeyed my commands. So I I, I know what it's like to meddle where I don't have any business to. Well, Jake, I didn't tell you to marry Carissa, but I was certainly enthusiastic about that relationship, and I was the uh, pastor that got to preside at your wedding. So uh, maybe there you go. Were, now that, that was a great decision. Yeah, that that <laughs> little of that rubbed off maybe from the Wesleys. So, so what about this relationship between the two brothers, Jake? Yeah, well, they did have this tension when when Charles broke up this relationship, and he really felt like he was saving Methodism. He thought that if John had married this low-born woman, she was in a lower socioeconomic class, and he thought that she was going to ruin Methodism, and it was his job to save Methodism from being destroyed and you know, obviously John wasn't happy, and um, but there were other issues within their relationship. I think Charles really felt that Methodism was pulling too far away from the church, the established church, and he wanted to bring them back in. And he also really didn't like how powerful John was becoming. And there might have been some jealousy in that, but John was becoming, according to his critics, maybe authoritarian and dictatorial, uh, making all these decisions, and he would tell the preachers where to go, when to go, and he was even telling Charles where to go and when to go. And finally, Charles just said, you know, I'm not going, and he didn't go on one of his commissions that, that his brother had been him on. And that really broke the relationship. It was a series of events that broke the relationship. So they had, you know, I don't know what their contact was in real life, but between that and the, the marriage that John had, and you know, John's wife and Charles did not like each other in yeah, you're talking about uh, Molly Vazai, right? The French widow that uh, John Wesley did marry. Uh, it was an unhappy marriage. Dr. Dorsett, can you say a little bit about that? Yes, I think it was a very unfortunate uh, marriage. It should never have happened. And the woman, the, the widow whom John married, I believe the fairest thing to say is that she was enthralled with this famous man. She wanted to marry the famous man and be with him. And he told her in no uncertain terms that he was an itinerating evangelist. He'd be on the road a lot. It was going to be difficult. She said, oh, that's no problem. I want to go with you. And she did for a few months, but eventually she grew very weary of that lifestyle. And the tension developed. And uh, I mean, it just, the, the marriage was destroyed. I mean, they never would have considered divorce. They but they separated from one another and lived apart. 
And uh, John certainly was a difficult man to live with. I can't imagine anybody finding him comfortable to live with. On the other hand, he did warn her of what his what his calling was, and she said, I'm all for it. But then she had sober second thoughts. Sounds like he needed an assistant evangelist rather than a wife. <laughs> but uh, anyway, there was unhappiness there to the very end. As you say, I think uh, she left him. They, they, they separated near the end. And Now, what we're talking about here, you might say, why are you talking about this on the on the Beeson podcast, these two great heroes of the faith. We have John Wesley there in the dome of our chapel. We sing Charles Wesley's hymns. We love them. God used these people to really spark a revival around the world. And yet they were very flawed human beings. They had quirks. They had, let's say, sins in their life, jealousies, all kinds of rivalries and problems that stood in their way. I want both of you to comment on that fact. And why is it that we're talking about them and extolling them in some ways, and yet we can see they're very fallible human beings. Jake? It's really easy to look at a historical figure in the church and try to make them more saintly than they are and to look at all their virtues and to hide all their, their flaws and their sins. And what ends up happening when you do that is that you become discouraged yourself because you know within your own heart that you have sin within your own heart and failures within your own life. So looking at these things in a realistic way in particular is helpful to us to, to encourage us to know that it's not John Wesley who saves us, it's not us who saves us, but it's only Jesus, the perfect and holy one, who saves us. And it, it's, a, it's a reminder to do that. And of course, there's the opposite extreme and, and to try to destroy a person. And I hope what I've written doesn't either destroy him or raise him up. But I think the picture that that is faithful to who he was and that he was a godly person who was doing his best and, and had failures along the way. Yeah. You know, we're about to celebrate the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation that centers so much on Martin Luther. Now, there's a person that had some warts, too. You know, he was by no means Saint Luther. And yet God used him in a terrific way, as he did the Wesley brothers. Yeah. As one critic of Luther said one time, here's a man that made three vows to God, a vow of celibacy, uh, a vow of poverty and a vow of obedience and cast all three of them over and yet we see him as our great leader uh, does cause one to pause and say my my uh, what are we doing i'd like to ask you dr dorsey to say a little bit about the the eucharistic theology of the wesleys and some of the hymns that charles wrote that focused on the lord's supper because it wasn't just preaching was it i mean preaching was central to john's ministry but worship and and the the supper of the lord was very important as well amen john really understood and this i mean you got to keep in mind that john was informed by the early church fathers as well as the Reformation of the 16th century on the continent. He was also formed by uh, Eastern uh, Christians. So he's very eclectic in what's brought him together. But one thing that came front and center to him was he needed a very high view of the Lord's Supper, of Holy Communion. He was not a transubstantiationist. He was probably close to being a consubstantiationist, but he says different things and you can't be certain. But he believed there was grace in it. And one of, one of his letters and, and then a talk he gave tells you where he is. He told the evangelists who were not ordained in the church of England, but they were out preaching. 
He said, you are in a war. There's a war for your souls, and you need all the grace you can get to survive and carry out your calling. Therefore, you need to be in prayer every day, and you need to be in the Scriptures daily. And if you can possibly find it, you need to receive Holy Communion every day because you need all the grace you can get. Now, this is a man that was careful with words he used. And when he says there's grace in communion, this is more than a memorial service. Mm. And so he was very keen on it. And he and Charles together edited a volume called The Hymns of the Lord's Supper. Uh, It's 161 hymns in that little book. Mm. And John himself uh, put together a collection. It's called a collection of hymns for the for use of the people called Methodists. He saw this along with scripture as being a way to help people grow in Christ and mature. And he's got 525 of, of Charles's hymns in there. Wow. Yeah, that's wonderful. Now, we've, we've mentioned Methodists several times. And, of course, we think of uh, John Wesley as the founder of the Methodist Church. Someone said the Methodist Church grew up over John Wesley's dead body because he really uh, wanted to remain faithful and did stay within the Church of England to the very end of his life. Uh, Charles was reluctant, as uh, Jake, you've already said, for this uh, severance between what became the Methodist Church and the Church of England. Uh, Jake, say a little bit about Methodism and how it grew up as a a distinctive denomination, a separate movement, but born from the passion and the, and the evangelism of both of the Wesleys. Yeah, well, obviously, it was a growing uh, movement within uh, England and the British Isles, but the, really the breaking point, I think, that really spread Methodism as a denomination in itself was the American Revolution and how they were going to respond to the American Revolution with Church of England breaking away along with the American Revolution in America. And so Wesley had to begin to ask the question, how are we going to minister to the people in America with what we have? And so he ordained Francis Asbury and Thomas Cope to go into America and not just be missionaries of Methodism, but to begin to practice the Lord's Supper and to do baptisms because the church wasn't really operating in that way. And that was really start the seeds of, what became Methodism that would spread as a movement and a denomination throughout the whole world. And and it impacted not just the white church, but it impacted uh, the Africans who were in America. And the African Methodist Episcopal Church has come out of uh, what John Wesley has done and what Charles has done. So it's a a movement that wasn't just limited to England, but it, it began to spread around the whole world and has impacted the entire world to this day. And when I've been able to visit around the world in different places, there are thriving Methodist churches and movements, evangelical Methodist movements in places like uh, Asia, Korea, Africa. Uh, God is really continuing to use Methodism to draw many people to faith in Christ all around the world. And we should pray for that denomination, for that movement and uh, that the Wesley vision would continue to burn brightly. Uh, we're just about out of time, but Dr. Dorsett, I can't leave this conversation without asking you just a general question. We've been talking to Jake primarily about his new book on John Wesley, Crossing the Divide, but you have written a number of Christian biographies. Uh, I know A.W. Tozier, you wrote a book on him. You, you've written a, a book on the wife of C.S. Lewis. Uh, I wonder if you'd say a little bit about Christian biography as a genre and how that can be important in the life of a believer? Well, I've I've always been captivated by biography. And when I became a Christian, 
Christian biography was very helpful to me in my own growth as a Christian. And I think if, if people will write for us biographies like Jake has that are honest, they're balanced, and will not set out to destroy a man or woman's character, but to be honest that they have great assets, great strengths, but they also have flaws. And if we can see that, I think it gives us as disciples who are trying to grow and learn from the heroes and heroines of the past, it's helpful to know, my goodness, these people weren't perfect, but God could still use them. Mm. And I think this, if we're going to make disciples, and certainly that's what John was setting out to do, John Wesley, we can learn from the lives of others. My guests today on the Beeson Podcast have been Dr. Lyle Dorsett. He is the Billy Graham Professor of Evangelism here at Beeson Divinity School, and Jake Hansen, who's a preacher, a teacher, an author. His most recent book is Crossing the Divide, John Wesley, the Fearless Evangelist. And it's published uh, by Shiloh Run Press, an imprint of Barber Publishing. You can get it by going on Amazon.com. I recommend it highly. Crossing the Divide, John Wesley, The Fearless Evangelist by Jake Hansen. Thank you both so much for this conversation. Thank you, sir. Thank you for having the privilege. You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast with host Timothy George. You can subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at our website, BeesonDivinity.com. Beeson Divinity School is an interdenominational evangelical divinity school training men and women in the service of Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast will aid and encourage your work, and we hope you will listen to each upcoming edition of the Beeson Podcast. <laughs>